Who in tarnation put me in that coffin? Brethren, let's not give way to panic. Small mistake seems to have been made. Brother Sidden, seems you've got a little sense left. Now, what's going on around here? Son, we was about to bury you. Bury? We was real certain that you died day before yesterday. Died? Well, that's silly. Come on, we're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys um, uh, enjoyed our, our discussion about musics that make people act certain ways and and then be very naughty boys. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm still stuck telling the truth this week. So uh, <laughs> yeah. whether or not I like this, this episode, uh, you guys will definitely have to believe me because I can't lie. Yeah, and the I just piano keep, is still playing. I keep just dancing in a circle in a room, you know, <laughs> like I'm just hoping that some man just makes, makes him me mine or whatever. Anyway, enough about that. I don't know. Thank yeah, God that's, yeah, yeah. that episode yeah. is over. <laughs> yeah. One day I'll find true love. Anyway. So this episode, uh, last rights of Jeff Myrtlebank, season three, episode 23, uh, air date, February 23rd, 1962. Number one film is Sergeant's Three, uh, still. Number one song, Duke of Earl by Gene Chandler, um, which, you know, all I remember is the beginning of that song, but I think that's all people remember of that song. Um, So on this date, um, astronaut John Glenn had arrived in Cape Canaveral to a hero's welcome and was reunited with his family for the first time since before going into space. Um, Let's see, when... Basically, uh, you know, Glenn was, you know, he's a hero. Everybody was like, you know, surprised at his professional skill, unflinching courage, extraordinary ability to perform a most difficult task under physical stress. Yes. He was shot into space. So yes, that would be, you know, you'd want that. Yeah. That's pretty physical. So um, wait, wait for it. It was then that Glenn revealed in an interview that the heat shield on his capsule began to break away upon reentry, the loss of which would have been fatal. Glenn calmly said it could have been a bad day for everybody. <laughs> yes everybody <Yeah. laughs> oh so uh because he'd actually went in orbit three days earlier and made three circle uh circuits around the earth um so being the first american put in orbit so but i like that he was just very calm saying yeah you know probably could have died up there but i didn't so we're good yeah i could really use a good space episode of the twilight zone about right? now be honest yeah it would be oh. it'd be nice but well actually uh, next week's space-ish so uh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get there um so also i want to mention as well because this feels like this is tangentially connected to this bit of news not this not the episode the next day the 24th so uh the united states government began its first telephone and television transmissions via satellite bouncing signals off the echo one which had been launched a few years previously so Talk about like just these advancements, just like just breakneck speed, right? Like, well, maybe not for John Glenn. He was perfectly safe, you know, but like he gets into orbit, first man up there. And then the next day we're actually starting to bounce, you know, telephone and and television uh, transmissions off satellite, which is, you know, a big deal. Yeah. And then, you know, this episode was uh, put out, was aired before that happened. So the world, most of the world was safe from the last rights of Jeff Myrtle bank, uh, at that time. Yeah. <laughs> so the twilight zone was, uh, not making advancements, uh, no, going no. into this week. <laughs> yeah. So that's all I got. Yeah. Well, we'll jump into cast and crew here. This episode was directed by Montgomery Pittman, who we previously have talked about on the episode. Will the real Martian police stand up? Uh, two, the first episode of the season, uh, The Grave, Dead Man's Shoes. And he also wrote uh, The Grave, 
2 and this episode the last rites of jeff myrtlebank yeah talk about uh, peaks and valleys here you know that's we're gonna yeah <laughs> so he's all over the place <laughs> yeah um so cast here we have james best uh who plays the titular character of jeff myrtlebank and we've previously talked about him in the episode the grave yeah uh so go back and check that out we just his big his biggest claim to fame was uh dukes of hazard because he was sheriff roscoe p coltrane yeah yeah, and I, I definitely remember talking about him back on that episode. So, like you said, definitely go back and check that out. We have Sherry Jackson, who plays Comfort Gatewood. Um, this is uh, actually Montgomery Pittman's stepdaughter. Yeah. Who um, he got into this episode. So um, This was her only Twilight Zone. She had a few credits. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, very attractive young lady. And uh, the only other thing I really wrote down was one episode of Star Trek. Well, you missed the big one then. There's two things. One, she was in an episode of Hawaiian Eye. Oh, uh, man. How did I miss that? Actually, I know, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, she was in an episode of Hawaiian Eye. And actually, she, um, when Montgomery Pittman was going to, you know, when he was shooting two, he wanted to cast her as the role of the Russian woman. But uh, the producers were like, she's too young for the role. So that's why they got, um, uh, what's her name? from bewitched i feel bad that the name's failing me right now but she was uh, she you just, you just passed it to me now <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that's uh, he wanted her there but which you know um the, uh, elizabeth montgomery there you go how do we forget that she just, has the I'm, last name of the first name of the director there you go i just <laughs> i don't know the older i get like my brain latches on the one thing and then just dumps all the information that's pertinent and i'm like i can only say <laughs> the one thing i can associate with it and it's gonna it's gonna get worse as i get older um but yeah i think that's one of those things where and after seeing this episode i think the casting mate was 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 really good for two so not that nothing against you know Sherry Jackson. Yeah, she, she was perfect for this role. Yeah. I don't think she would have fit that character for that no, episode. No, Liz Montgomery so, was great for that. Um, but yeah, yeah she, uh, Sherry Jackson was perfect for this role in this yeah, episode. Very striking I had no eyes with her. Uh, yes, definitely. And and I just hate the name of this character, Comfort. Uh, I just do not like that. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we go along. Yeah, pretty on the nose uh, <laughs> for a character name. Um, next up, we have Edgar Buchanan who plays Doc Bolton who uh, this was his only Twilight Zone appearance, but he was in a few Westerns. He was in Shane and Ride the High Country, which are two I think we've mentioned before. And he had a reoccurring role on Petticoat Junction. Yeah, um, so he was in all 222 episodes of Petticoat Junction, so that's a pretty big deal. Uh, I wrote in Shane and then put a frowny face beside that. Um, and then he, he actually didn't start like officially, like professionally acting until age 36. He was a dentist until that point and then just stopped. He was like, you know what? I'm going to go act like that's, um, that's a major career change. So he was doc Buchanan rather than doc Bolton for 36 years of his life. That's fair. He looks like a dentist. And he did, he did check out somebody's jaw later on. So I guess in in hindsight, that's also something (laughs) that's, you know, he's He's been typecast forever. He went method. He's like, let me, let me look at your jaw. I know what I'm looking for. Yeah. But, uh, then we have Lance Fuller who plays Orgrim, uh, Gatewood, (laughs) who this was his only, you could tell, uh, I had a few rum drinks before this. That took me a second to get my, uh, composure together to pronounce that. Um, this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. And the only other thing I wrote down for him was this Island Earth. Yeah. He he was one of the big four headed aliens in that. And when you see, if you know that watching this, you can see it like his face, like, <laughs> like not the forehead. I'm talking like the face, like he, there's something about his eyes, you know, like, I, yeah, I heard it as the forehead. Yeah. Like, no, you just, just look at me. Yeah, you, know? you just tell that guy. That I guy wish he was in the makeup in this. Like would, I'm going to go fight. <laughs> I'm going to go fight Jeff Myrtle back. Yeah. It's just the alien from this island. That, that would have been better. Um, yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Uh, so what, so something that I found about him, this just, this is just a weird thing to again state on you know the internet. Uh, in 1968, so after this, Fuller attacked a police officer in Los Angeles who reacted by shooting Fuller in the chest and left him in critical condition. Like he lived, but he attacked a police officer and got shot in the chest. And that's did he? 
That's, yeah. Did he roll up his sleeves first before he attacked the officer? I think he blocked the, the the bulk of the bullet with his forehead. I think that's what actually happened. No, but yeah, he rolled up his sleeves, and then he had um, a fanciful chase around a tree and involving a tire swing, and then was shot in the chest by the officer. I, I, I whooped that officer last time. I don't yeah. know what happened this every, time. Every time he had I a gun grew up, this time. Yeah, yeah, every time I whooped him, and the, yeah, this time, yeah, yeah. We're rooting the episode. We're giving yeah, away all the secrets. Yeah, we're ruining it. Uh, Dub Taylor, who plays Peters, um, this is also his only Twilight mm-hmm. Zone appearance. He was in uh, The Wild Bunch mm-hmm. and The Getaway from Sam Peckinpah. Uh, Back to the Future Part 3, uh, which, uh, take it or leave it, I kind of like it. I like Back to the uh, Future Part 3. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I'm a fan of Western, so there's, there's some fun to be had there. And then uh, the only other thing I wrote down was Burnt Offerings, the Dan Curtis movie with Karen Black oh, and Alan Reed. I you, I did not recall him from that, but um, the uh, Burnt Offerings that's a that's an interesting film. Like I'm not saying it's like I, I'm not saying it makes the most sense, but there are some really haunting things going on in that film that are is very disturbing. And it's Oliver yeah. Reed, you know, like yeah. And I just mentioned uh, Dan Curtis last week, I believe, with the uh, Dead of Night. Mm-hmm. Uh, anthology so i figured uh two weeks in a row we got somebody who's in dan curtis film yeah uh and i like the fact that dub taylor has a, the name that's the weird name but he's called peters in here as opposed to yeah you know <laughs> just name him dub yeah like, right? uh, don't even change his name that's perfect for this episode because well, like, that's guess, dub i guess he uh had an initial of w in his name like like in, from his father kind of like a you know george w bush type thing right he just got okay. called like w so just a guy eventually got shortened down to dub which that's you know this this makes sense for that time frame of like you want a name that stands out and that's you know no, there's worse names. Yeah, yeah or I mean Grim. he was in the Wild Bunch. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, so <laughs> that's more than I've done. <laughs> uh, uh, next up, we have Ralph Moody who plays Pop Myrtle Bank. Uh, this is his only Twilight Zone appearance as well, and he was in one episode of The Night Gallery. Just a ton of TV TV work in his uh, career, so I don't know if you have anything else from him. I have. I just I wrote down born in 1886 because that's just you know I know that's I know this makes sense at that time, but it still blows my mind now. That's only like a little over 20 years after the Civil War ended. Just for reference, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you look at his IMDb.com photo, he played a lot of what you know the 50s, the 40s and 50s Native Americans. You know, like he was always playing. Like just, you know, different time. Like we weren't as tuned in where we should have been. So, but he he got cast a lot as a Native American, and he does not look like a Native American. So no, yeah, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph Moody, yeah, uh, definitely a Native Native American name. Um, <laughs> yeah. So next up, uh, we'll just kind of ramble through these pretty quick. We have John Lormer, Larmer, who plays Strauss. Uh, we previously talked about him. He was the minister in Executioner or yeah, the execution, execution yeah. um, who was kind of reading the last rites at the hanging tree in that episode. Um, he was also in Dust and he's going to be in one other uh, future episode of the Twilight Zone, which I think is coming up fairly soon. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's all I got um, for him. Yep. Then we have Azel Poole, who plays Ma Myrtle Bank. Uh, we previously talked about her on the Howling Man episode. She is the housekeeper that comes in at the end of the episode. Yeah, she's the idiot that opens the door. Like that's yeah, I just you know. Yeah, she's the one that calls World War Two. Yeah, she's the one that, that <laughs> removes the tiny. Is it the staff of power or what I kept calling her staff of truth? I forget which one it was. Yeah, it was yeah, staff of power, wasn't it? I can't remember. No, I think it was the. I think it was the staff of truth. <laughs> I still can't get it right. Either way, she does, she, so. she ruined. Everything I love that episode, and I can't remember what stupid name they gave that staff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, a memorable role for her uh, previously in the series. But unfortunately, this is the last time she'll pop up in the series. Um, not that she's that memorable <laughs> either, but no. she just she did a terrible thing in the last one. So and I'll then, remember and then she her did forever. A terrible thing in this one by uh, <laughs> talking about eggs and in uh, Etnam. But we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Just a couple more. Uh, We'll ramble through these. Not much. Uh, We have James Houghton, who plays Jerry. This is actually Buck Houghton's son, the producer of Twilight Zone. This is his only appearance in Twilight Zone, surprisingly. But he did end up going on to writing. uh, He wrote three episodes of Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah, I put that in my notes. And I did not realize that he was related to Buck Houghton, even though the name stared me right in the face. 
That's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's cool. That's his son. Yeah, nice. Which I'm surprised that this is the only time he popped up. You'd figure they'd just throw him in the background <laughs> just because he was there, you know? Like like Bucks on the set and being like, you know, I got to watch the kids today. Hey, guys, I guess you're in this episode, you know? Yeah, here you go. Like, just go peek in this window. That makes me believe that Robert McCord was just, like, given busy work for most of the time where it's like, we need something for Robert McCord to do. Just put him in the episode. It's fine. Have him sit in a car. It's good. <laughs> So we have Helen Wallace, who plays Ma Gatewood, only Twilight Zone appearance. I don't have anything else for her. I don't know if you do. Nope. Nope. Uh, <laughs> William Fawcett, who plays Reverend Siddons, which I kind of laugh because it, it kind of reminds me of Reverend Siddowns. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's funny to me. Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance. Uh, he was a character actor. Mm. He had something like 250 credits to his name. Um, nothing I was too familiar with, but a lot of bit roles worked for a very long time. Yeah, I got nothing. Uh, we have Mabel Forrest, who plays Mrs. Ferguson, only Twilight Zone appearance. Uh, Vicki Barnes, who plays Liz Myrtlebank. This is her only acting credit. I wonder so, why. Yeah, obviously her only Twilight Zone appearance. Yeah. And uh, lastly, Pat- Patrick Hector, who plays Tom. Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance, and again, only a couple of credits to his name. So I just want to mention uh, uh, Mabel Forrest is Mrs. Ferguson. Fer- Ferguson, uh, her earliest credit was 1915. So I thought that was interesting because it's like you know, when did film start? So she was pretty much there at the beginning. Um, and then uh, Fred Ra- Fred Rappaport as the townsman. He did. I don't know what he was in this this uh, episode. He had 136 credits, and I started looking at him, and only three of them actually have character names. So, I mean, it's a living, but he was never given anything of substance of like actual substance. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's a living. How much does <laughs> that pay? <laughs> Enough to do it 136 times, I guess. You know, like. Yeah, so that, that's got to be frosting frustrating. Like that's a, that, a I, I don't think I could do that. Have uncredited roles for 116 movies without moving up in the cast. That's because yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a certain point where it's like, you're like, you know, I'm capable of more than this. And then probably a few weeks go by and you realize that you're not capable of more than this. So you have to make yeah, the but decision. Why do you keep like, doing it? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe catered lunch. You know, I don't, I mean, maybe I like, guess, I guess yeah. somebody's got to be the background artist. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was cast, um, as an extra, yeah, I like, I, there's actually someone, there's a, I have a friend of mine who, um, she's actually been in a few, um, backgrounds of some Netflix productions because she, uh, was actually, she has a, um, a, a SAG card or whatever, but she shows up to these things and she posts on Facebook, like there's my elbow or whatever. And she goes and has fun and gets to be on set and, and she enjoys doing it. It's not her, it's not her full-time job. So it's like, clearly if you get to be at least close to that kind of energy and you feel like you're making something there, there's something inherent there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that. I just don't know about 116 times. <laughs> yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like, I feel like your aspirations have to grow and your frustrations have to grow after a while, but like, what's your, know. what's your, like, you know, your production reels, just the back of your head over and over again, or like, you know, you reacting to yeah. things off screen <laughs> or, you know, like man in crowd. There I am real, real quick. You know, like you need me, you need someone to stand there with clothes on. I'm your guy, you know, just putting together a reel of all your acting work. It's just all your arms yeah. or just, yeah, <laughs> just like you as a shadow in the background. Like, like your headshot isn't actually a headshot. It's, it's the predominant arm that has been in all the things. Yeah. <laughs> it's just you standing away from the camera in the corner of the shot. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be amazing. I feel like that might actually get you some roles if that Maybe. was your headshot. That'd Just be- you standing backwards in the corner. It's like, oh, that guy, he doesn't he doesn't stand out at all. It's perfect. We'll have him in a crowd. I'm your man. And then they so try to call mysterious. you. Yeah, it's like, we don't know what you look like. We didn't give you the job. And that's his curse. So anyway, we we came up with a way better story there than let's uh, what we're about to talk about. Um, yeah. man, I am stepping all over this. I apologize. And I, you know. It's, it's, I've, you guys would might be surprised. I sometimes do partake of alcoholic beverages while recording the show. I am stone cold sober tonight. And I feel like I am just a bull in a China shop getting through what this episode is going to be. So I'm drinking half and half, which seems very appropriate thematically to this episode. So <laughs> I, I've been good about not drinking and I've had six and a half ounces of rum. So <laughs> it's about time. It's about you, you, it's about time that, uh, you, you know, you, you lead the way. Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> as opposed to me just like you know <laughs> fall all over myself. So yeah, let's uh let's just get to let's just get to Serling. Let's do it. Time the mid twenties, place the Midwest, the southernmost section of the Midwest. We were just witnessing a funeral, a funeral that didn't come off exactly as planned due to a slight fallout from the Twilight Zone. I feel like Sterling had nothing with this. He's like, I don't know. Like, I saw the stand by a car. And which, it- which was kind of exciting because we've talked in length in previous episodes about uh, when he rambles on and on, the longer that his intro goes, the worse the episode is. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of defies all the odds. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like yeah it just it would just almost been it would have been better if it's like he was like you know taking a drag like a cigarette and be like you know yeah i don't know yeah. this yeah he just puts his arms yeah. out like yeah yeah and just <laughs> stubs the cigarette out on the car and walks off he's like i'm done here like that's it yeah. you know there's yeah. your intro this is the twilight zone yeah. puts the cigarette out <laughs> <laughs> brought to you by oasis the softest taste and he just walks off um so so yeah um the, the, one of the biggest questions I have to ask you at the very beginning uh, of this, because we start off with the episode of you see a church, like an old, like an older church. This is set in the twenties, um, which immediately I was like, I'm starting to get like this apprehension because we just got through the hunt and I'm like, I don't need another one of these. And it was creeping up on me pretty fast, but there's these two kids, like a Tom Sawyer type of thing where they're running to the church um, because there's a funeral. And I know it's a patch on this kid's pants, but it looked like the one kid pissed himself. Did you notice that? <laughs> I I didn't notice that. It just it's like straight like his inner like his, his inner thighs like this darker like patch <laughs> of his jeans. He's it's just it looks like he just peed himself. And I'm like, well, I don't know where you're running running to, but you should probably be running home and changing your pants. It's it looks <laughs> like you should go back. Anybody like I defy you to tell me that kid didn't pee his pants. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and check that out. I guess I I, I don't know. I didn't notice <laughs> you know, that. I don't know. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I was nervous off the bat because, like you said, we had just covered the Hunt episode, which we were both kind of lukewarm on. And uh, this has a similar premise as far as the synopsis online so and on Netflix, wherever you watch the show. I was I was really concerned about what we we're getting into. And just the beginning shot of this, the music, uh, the kids looking into the window, I was really concerned. So uh, these kids are looking into the window as there's a funeral going on. The reverend's given the, uh, I guess, the last rites, mm. you know, and everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, as he's doing this, the coffin starts opening. And uh, Jeff Myrtlebank sits up and ever uh, his family, friends, uh, people in the city, everyone starts screaming and running out of the church. So the f- this is kind of my take on this episode. Every. There are so many ups and downs because I immediately start on a negative point because Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't want another hunt. And then we get something interesting that I think is going to take the episode in a completely different direction. That's going to save the episode. And then it immediately. um, Oh, thank you. You, (laughs) Paul just sent me a picture. Yeah, the kid definitely looked like he peed his pants. Okay. Uh, sorry, you're you're making a point, and I'm like, I gotta I gotta prove my point that this kid pees his pants. So, yeah, <laughs> no, I, you're right. It's, it's true. <laughs> don't don't worry, everybody. This will be the first thing I post, like the next day after the episode goes live, so you guys will see it for yourself. Um, but yeah, yeah like, it's just yeah. it's it's just it's there's so many up and downs in this episode where it's like I'm not I'm not liking where this is going. And then they immediately rectify the situation and give you something really interesting, but then take it away and make it uninteresting immediately after. And this happens just constantly through this episode. And we're about a minute and a half into this and it's already happened. Well, cause yeah. So you had the kids like they're like, you know, John and each other about like, can't you see the body? He's like, well, I just see a box. He's like, well, that is a coffin, you idiot and go change your pants. And then like when the guy, is uh you know given the, the eulogy like he's saying like you know Jeff didn't always show up to church on Sunday but we didn't see him with the bootleggers on Saturday night either and like you know all six people in the town are like that's true Reverend you know 
and you know the the parents are upset and you know comfort is upset but then there's this music cue that happens whenever the coffin lid opens and and Jeff sits upright very much like a, a vampire it's that very bolt upright like I don't know how to, to describe it and the look on his face and I'm like wow this is going to be a thing, you know, like this is going to be, this is going to be dark, you know? And then yeah, and, and the music cues seemed really good. way ahead of its time. Yeah. It felt like something that would have been in like a seventies movie or something. Yeah. Like it, those music cues when he was sitting up at the funeral, I was, I actually wrote down like great music at this point. It was like, I was, I was so excited from where I thought this episode was going to pick up where the hunt left off basically. Um, and then we get this moment that's just unlike anything we've seen so far in the series. I was so excited. Yeah. Was it a harmonica or something? It was something like that, right? That is like, that just ramped up as that, like everything. It was very, there was the harmonica and there was like the guitar thing and a little bit of like percussion behind it. So it sounded like a, like seventies, almost like disco score. It was very strange for the situation that was going on, but I dug it. Like I really enjoyed that. Um, the music through the rest of the movie didn't like it all. No. Well, I mean, just going to put that, that out there. there. There's a couple cues and I'll, I'll mention. Yeah. It, there's, yeah. A, there's a few kind of creepy harmonica and just like, uh, yeah, but the atmospheric, re- uh, bits, yeah. but the rest of it just seems kind of like stock music, like, uh, happy time, Western music. Oh, the rest of the music sounded like it came straight out of the hunt, you know, which was also stock music. Right. So not yeah. the first time I'm not the, well, that's the second time I mentioned the hunt, not the last time I'll mention it. Uh, so, you know, he, he, you know, gets up out of the coffin, everybody like sc- people scream and they run out of the, the church, which good on them. That's the right reaction. You know, you, this guy's supposed to be dead. You, you haul ass out of the church. You don't just go outside and stand and wait and see what happens next. You know, if, if you think yeah. that this well, is, like- I'm, I'm even okay with that because I, to be honest, if, if I was at a funeral and somebody sat up, I would. I kind of want to see what's going on. I'm not going to completely leave the situation. Like I kind of want to see what's going on. But so when he walks out of the church, uh, immediately the tone kind of shifts and uh, you get the clip that you played in the beginning of this episode of like, who in tarnation put me in that coffin? And it's like, okay, it was them Duke boys again. Wasn't it? You know? Yeah. This, this (laughs) is the tone we're going for in this episode. Yeah. I was uh, again, like, immediately let down from an interesting situation but everyone's reaction was kind of interesting at this point so he goes outside and the doctor um and the reverend are like he was dead you know the doctor uh declared him dead two days prior and as he's out there um he sees his parents and his fiance so his fiance is comfort um and everyone's kind of terrified it's like, yeah, as you should be like, fair <laughs> enough. Like, this is fine. I like this reaction. Uh, eventually he comes across, I assume it's his little sister. It is his sister. Uh, yes. Yeah. Liz Myrtle bank. Um, and she isn't a scared of him. No, she and is so, not a scared of him yeah, at all. Yeah. She's <laughs> the only one that isn't a scared of him. Ugh. So, um, it, as soon as that happens, everyone immediately is kind of okay with the situation. Yeah. And there's there's a quick turn amongst the crowd that just seemed it, it was one of those things where it pushes the plot forward, but it's frustrating because like the guy's been dead for two days and just sat up in a coffin. Like it's gonna take more than thirty seconds to change anyone's mind that there's not something weird going on. Yeah. I mean I did like that uh um, he's like, I'm sure glad you didn't embalm me. I like that, that, that comment. And then, uh, yeah. Cause the uh, uh, doctor's <laughs> like, yeah, you had no pulse. <laughs> yeah. Like I declared you dead. And he's like, well, I thank God you didn't embalm me. <laughs> so that, that wasn't bad. Like, Oh, I, I, I'll give James best credit because I feel like, I don't know what Montgomery Pittman was doing with the story or his direction best leaned into it though. I'll give him that. Like he's, He's yeah, at least entertaining. I, I'm, I'm blaming all the faults on this episode on Montgomery Pittman because I think he was leaning into a. Uh, I think he was leaning into. I don't even want to say comedy because it wasn't necessarily necessarily funny, but like a quirky tone, more yeah. so than it should have been. Because this is a dark episode. Yeah. I just feel like it was just him and then Earl Hamner was sitting in a room being like, hey, what's some folksy dialogue? Hey, just 
give me a second. I'll come up with something, you know? That's what it feels like. But because uh, just, if you wouldn't have told me this was Pittman, I would have been like, this is Earl Hamner again, isn't it? This is what this feels like from the yeah, two this, times. This yeah. lives in the <laughs> same world the Hamner that the hunt did in. It's, I mean, it's a little bit darker. Well, that. Uh, I just. Yeah. I. I wish the tone of this episode was darker because the story has some dark uh, connotations uh, to it. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, there are some really dark connotations in this, especially later in the episode. So um, there the home, the uh, Myrtle Bank home, the exterior shot is the same shot, same location from the hunt, by the way, just so you know. That another thing that just screamed at me. I'm like, oh no, here we go. But anyway, so real quick, the, 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 um, the people, the townsfolk are like, but doctor, you know, I thought you, you, you know, verified he was dead. And he was like, oh, it must've been this something super cadrafragilistic, something, something syndrome. uh, Abso suspendo animation. Yeah. (laughs) It's what he calls only only uh, 30, only 30 cases been known to man, uh, most of them in Europe. You've never heard of them. Like he's, he sounds like Alex Jones trying to explain something. And it was really, <laughs> it was weird, you know? And he was just like, you know, of course you guys haven't heard of it. It's been only 30 cases, you know? It's just like, okay. I just, I don't know. The, the doctor, I liked his voice. I just got tired of everything he was saying. Um, yeah. but, but then, um, you know, obviously, uh, Jeff is like, I'm hungry. And then someone's like, of course, you know, you're hungry. He's like, I know you ain't at for three days because you've been dead. So, you know, Whatever. Anyway, but they're all happy. They're all the happy. Comfort's happy to see him. Everyone's kind of like, this is all right. Well, whatever. <laughs> this He's is here. the first first about face of comfort that we get from her, where she is immediately terrified and then immediately okay yeah, with well, him. Yeah, she's a she's a a fickle, fickle woman. woman. <laughs> so, her words, not mine. Yeah, yeah. I take comfort in that. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> They, they, then it cuts and then it does this weird, like, you know, cut to, it's like a few weeks later. Right. So they're in the house, the house from the hunt, uh, at least the exterior. And, you know, Jeff has eaten, he's sorry, he's eating some eggs, you know, and he's very, you know, he's very appreciative and thankful. And he tells his mom, like, you know, thanks for the food. I want to go, go out and work on that fence. And there's this weird conversation that's supposed to be played for comedy, but it's just the way that the whole thing kind of plays out is like, it's not funny. It's just awkward where she's alarmed because he's changed over the past couple of weeks because he used to eat at three eggs, not two. And he was never that excited about work. <laughs> like yeah, he, was, he was on the verge of kind of being lazy shiftlessness, but now all he wants it. to do. Yeah. All he wants to do now is uh, do chores. Yeah. And work. And everyone's like, Oh yeah, it's, he's not the same guy. It's like, I don't know. Let him be that guy. <laughs> that seems yeah, like- that's it. I, I kind of wish I would die and come back and be more productive. <laughs> like, I, just, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't seem like the worst character change. Yeah. I mean, like, I think it feels like you're saving money on eggs and you're getting a lot of work done. I just, I feel like it's a win-win, you know, like, uh, he but must be a demon. He must be, you know. So the the younger sister overhears this, which, uh, by the way, every time she delivered a line outside of when she's talking to the boys here in a second, I didn't understand a single word she said. Like there was this, she said like there's two or three times she spoke, and I'm like, I don't know what was just said, and everybody reacted to her like they knew what was going on. So I'm like, good enough. But they send her out to go wait at the mailbox for the new catalog to show up, and she talks to you know pee pants and um you know, frog hat kid uh, about what's going on. And they're, they're asking about her brother and she kind of repeats everything. She pretty much heard that her parents are talking about. And this starts off this like small town gossip chain about what's going on. And, and you find out that the townspeople have had their suspicions about Jeff since he's come back from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it, it kind of flips pretty quickly from her talking to the kids about it to, I, I, I don't know exactly where the townsfolk are. It's kind of like a saloon cafe. I don't know. It's just well, one first, of the stores in town. You had um you had the one kid, the kid with the frog in his hat. Um, he ends up at home and he tells his his mother or grandmother, whoever she's probably his mother, and she's on like the old the old timey telephone gossiping, and she tells him to run outside. He's like, I want to listen as he's whittling a stick, and then she said, um, what was it? Uh, little britches have big ears, and I just I, I really misheard that the first time. I thought she said little bitches have big ears. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that seems about right. You know, but yeah. that, that starts off everybody sitting in the, the, um, you know, the general store full of hats 
and uh, various jars. And this reminded me of Encounter with the Unknown, where everybody's talking about the plot up to that point, and like nothing's going on. Yeah, so uh, they're talking about it. Uh, Doc enters the uh, general store and is eating a pickle. He, he's eating a pickle, which is great. Yeah. Nothing adds to a scene like a character eating a pickle. Yeah, you know, like it's it's perfect. And he kept holding it out, so, talking. It looked like he was trying to offer it to everybody, and like no one's reacting. By the way, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah you want you want a bite of this? You, you <laughs> I feel like it's just Montgomery Pittman is like I love pickles. Can we throw a pickle in this episode. Like yeah. we got to have the pickle in here. Um, so all the townsfolk is asking, like, where was he for those 48 hours? Like, uh, who is this really Jeff Myrtlebank that came back? And the doctor said he actually lied uh, to the parents that he uh, he checked his pulse, did a pin test where he poked him to see if there's any reaction, held a mirror in front of his mouth to see if there was some sort of uh, breath or fog on the mirror. Um so everyone is kind of thinking maybe it's like an evil spirit that came back in Jeff Myrtlebank, Myrtlebank's body. Yeah, like the one guy who's like the leader of the group. He's like talking about he's like, my grandma told me stories about spirits stealing bodies. I'm like, OK, well, I'm glad that you got a good education growing up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it seems like a logical jump. Yeah. It, I mean, whatever. Sure. It's it's a crazy situation. I'm I'm more OK with these jumps uh, in logic than I am with everyone deciding that was okay that this guy sat up in the coffin earlier on in the episode. That's fair. Um, Cause I, I, I don't know it. Like, I feel like at this period of time, evil spirits taking over a body is more logical than like, yeah, it was a miracle, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Um, uh, just, but just uh, the, like I like that's the immediate leap, though. It's like we don't trust what's going on, and he's more productive and eats less. Must be the devil, you know? <laughs> like, just I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, some, somehow that's more believable for yeah. me for this time period. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. So next up, we have uh, Jeff coming over to Comfort's house, and uh, Comfort's inside with her mother, and I, I would assume it's her brother, yeah, Orgrim, yeah. Um, and he's basically saying, like, I don't like this Jeff situation, like, and says if they're going to have kids, they're going to be born with horns and all this stuff. And uh, she's like, you know, you're not in charge of my life. Like, I'm going to see who I want to see. So she lets Jeff in. And uh, as he comes in, he's kind of sweet talking to her. He's got roses behind her or behind his back for her. And when he reveals them, all the roses are dead. So yeah. again, here we got a situation where I'm like, all right, this episode has gotten interesting again. I'm back in. I, the, the last 10 minutes of this episode could be amazing. I'm fully <laughs> in again. Well, cause I like that he presents them to her and he, he's like, you know, still like he's happy. He's presented them to her and she's like, Oh, like when, when did you pick them? He's like, Oh, before I got over here, it's like, so he freshly picked these things. They died immediately. And she goes from being super excited to seeing him to being like, I don't want to be in the same room with him, which to be fair is a valid response. But this yes. is the, this is another immediate, like her flip-flopping like, and it's, this one makes sense. But it's fast, you know. Um, well, and then and then she wants to distract him by listening to the new the new uh, country blues record that they bought. Uh, well, after she accused him of having poison on his hands, and he said he ain't got no poison on his hands. Yeah, she important. puts a record on. And he comes over to kind of put his arms around her, and she's like, "Don't touch me." Yeah, and uh, you might have poison poison on your hand. He's like, "You know, I don't poison on my hand." So he he gets frustrated. Says he's sick of being treated like a vampire and everything. And there's this really great kind of tense scene, mm -hmm. uh, not even a full scene, but just basically a shot of him walking towards her. And it's his back to the camera and her terrified face. Um, and it seems like he's going to do something, but he walks right past her out the front door. Yeah. And with having that, that country blues play that felt very, you talk about yeah, it was feeling, the, the juxtaposition yeah. between like the tense, terrifying moment of like something terrible might happen right now with this happy, uh, very innocent music playing in the background was great. Like this, uh, this is this whole scene with the flowers and the music and, um, her kind of rejecting him and his anger coming out. 
I was I was really hoping this episode was going to take a turn for the better at this point. Um, but then we get uh, we get the fight scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Orgrim comes out and he sees that she's terrified and he assumes that Jeff had done something to her. So he uh, he's like, yeah, I've I've whooped him so many times before. I'm going to go do it now. So he rolls his sleeves up and goes out there and <laughs> confronts Jeff. And Jeff is basically like, I'm mad right now and you shouldn't get in my way. So Orgrim's kind of frustrated that he's threatening him. And he's like, I've whooped you so many times. Like, what are you going to do about it? So it, I like Jeff's response. It's kind of like a warning where he's like, well, you may have done it in the past, but you haven't whooped me lately. Yeah, I like that. He's like staring like at just yeah. in, inferring that maybe something uh, something has changed inside of Jeff, which is uh, another it, like it's pretty cool. But then the fight scene <laughs> happens. And it is it is terrible. Well, there's a bit where what was it? Um, I think it, one of them takes a swing at the other, and then you hear this real like from like the the music cue matches the swing, and it's like this like um like the the harmonica or organ noise or whatever. It's like ugh, we're doing this, and then they they go and there's a tree involved in a tire swing, and it's just you know. I know I was waiting for you to talk about this in particular because I know how much you love fight choreography and when it's done well, it is transcendent. Um, and I know this is TV level fight fight quality, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there is no believability in this fight at all. No. I mean, I'm not, I'm not watching Twilight Zone to get like incredible fight choreography or anything, but like this isn't riveting at all. Like when you watch, it. no, there's nothing exciting about it. It's it's frustrating to watch. It's it's funny. Um, it doesn't hold up well. I just uh, again, like you have uh, all these good ideas leading up to this moment, and I f- feel like this should have been an emotional moment, and it, there's just nothing. It just it just kind of fizzles out. Yeah, it's it just ends up being frustrating and kind of funny. So then, so then Jeff drives off, and you know, you know, Orgrim's on the ground, and you know, and so the comfort comes out and says something about like I, I forget the exchange, but she's like, "Oh, he's so alone." It's like, "Oh, I guess you're right back to being you know in love with him." Like immediately after you know your brother gets the shit kicked out of him, like you know, but you know, he's just misunderstood that that Jeff Myrtlebank. And, and then it cuts to um, Orgrim trying to explain his case to the townsfolk. And his his explanation for why Jeff is different is because he when he, he's like, I've, I've always beat him up. And it's, it's been basically saying I've beat him up so many times that I'm used to his fighting or lack of fighting. But this guy looks like he had ring training, which means that implies that Orgrim's like actually studied fighting or went and like did boxing. None of that wasn't like ever shown with his, his ability to run <laughs> no, around a tree. Yeah. They, yeah. There was no implication of any of them knowing how to fight at all. Yeah. Um, but nah, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to hold it against this episode that much. I did like that. The um, doctor's like, your, your jaw isn't broken. <laughs> like, just, yeah. So the doctor's <laughs> checking out his jaw. Yeah. We kind of referenced that earlier. Um, but so the town folk have decided that he's evil and that they want to do something. So in the background of this conversation, you see comfort popping into the front door and then leaving real quick. Yeah. So she rides out to uh, the Myrtle Bank property and to basically warn Jeff that the townsfolk are coming. And um, Jeff asks her, what side are you on? Uh, and like, do you still want to be with me? Do you want to? I want to marry you. And that's when she gives a line about being like a fickle woman and she just kind of sides with uh, whatever the townsfolk or her family is siding with. So she doesn't know. She says, I'm a fickle woman, Jeff. I am the kind that believes whatever said by them I am with. I'm not strong enough to turn a deaf ear to them. It's like, come on. Like, she's just basically like, if someone says something to me, I believe them. Like, (laughs) it's, it's, it's not great. 
Yeah. yeah. So as as he's saying, like, do you still want to marry me and all this? The townsfolk uh, pull up. Uh, everybody hanging on to one car. Uh, <laughs> Did you see? Like, they weren't like it's just if you have to have a truck that requires three people to push it, maybe you guys should just walk there. Like, I just I feel don't like think they were necessarily <laughs> pushing it. I think they were just trying to hang on, but there were too many people trying to hang on, yeah. so they were falling off and trying to grab back on to jump on again. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty funny. It looks it looks ridiculous. Yeah, I don't. Makes the townsfolk like I, I I assume that's what they were going for to make the townspeople look crazy. I hope so. Um, I like I like that yeah, there's I, only two trucks in the county and uh, Jeff has one and they have the other. Yeah, they just all had to jump on and <laughs> hang on and hope they made it there. Um, yeah. So they get there and they can they confront him and uh, uh, call him a haint, which <laughs> is old timey word for a ghost. Um, and they just pretty much ask him to move out of town and that they they don't like him being there anymore and they don't trust him. So he tells them that he needs Comfort's answer to a question he just asked her, which is if she'll marry him or not. So she uh, she's a fickle woman, so she decides <laughs> that she's going to be with him and yeah. that they're going to stay. Yeah. So I, I, I do like this moment. Um, so Jeff confronts the town people and he's like, all right. So she's on my side now. So if you're getting rid of me, you're going to have to get rid of her as well, who is one of you guys. Um, if you guys are wrong, I'm just a simple country boy and uh, I can't do anything, whatever. Like I'm just here and everything is the same as it's always been. But if you guys are right and I am some sort of demon or haint with the supernatural abilities, um, you guys better start treating me right. Like you guys better uh, start treating me better or uh, as he puts it, he's going to bring down a plague of locusts, uh, bring down hawks to steal their chickens, burn some barns, drop some wells, pretty much cause havoc across the town if he is a demon uh, and they keep treating him like this. Yeah. And uh, they immediately be like, oh, well. We don't, we don't want to see anything bad happen to comfort. And the one guy's like, well, if you guys get married soon, we'll throw a picnic. And they all get in their, their truck and they push it off in the distance. And that's yeah, it. real yeah. fast. Real fast. Is, like, it's kind of funny because you can tell that they're all still kind of nervous about the situation. So it's just that, like, yeah, you're right. Okay. All right. Never mind. Never mind. We don't want to mess with you. So they all leave. And um, so comfort and Jeff are still there. And they have a lot to talk about, right? So... <laughs> As as they're walking away, he lights a cigarette, but he strikes a match without actually striking the match. And it lights up. He just holds it and the flame starts. Mm -hmm. So when Comfort confronts him about that, he just tells her to stop imagining things. Yeah, he says, Comfort, honey, first thing you got to learn is to not imagine things. It's like, oh, you're gaslighting her from the get go. That's great. You know, like, yeah, uh, that's, that's awesome. Ugh. Yeah. So and then and then you get probably the uh, the best part of this episode <laughs> is Sterling's uh, yeah. outro, yeah. where he says that they end up having a kid who becomes a shrewd senator. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, then, what? What? Like, are you just saying that, like, oh, we don't know about what what Jeff is? I mean, it looks like he is more than you think, and. Uh, is this the antichrist that's now serving in like you know yeah. government capacity? It's like, it's like an omen yeah. situation or something. Like it, the complications of this episode are uh, better than the episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it just it felt like oh well, well that got that got out of control in a hurry, you know. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's your uh, that's your your last rights of uh, Mr. Myrtlebank there. I your your description of the. You know, like, oh, we're getting somewhere and then we're not is that is that is exactly dead on how I felt watching this where like as much as I was gritting my teeth being like, oh, good, we're going back to, you know, like this is hokey folksy talk that drove me nuts with, you know, um, the hunt. I'm like, we're getting more of that. But I thought it was going to go someplace and that just kept threatening to do something more. And then it just didn't. And that was. This is this episode's biggest sin is that it always got to the precipice of interesting and then backed away from it with like a with a, like a, 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 a stupid joke that isn't even a joke. Yeah, I just 
I feel like if this episode would have taken a more serious tone or a, a not even more serious, but just like a more sinister tone to it. I think this could have been something that would have been one of like my favorite episodes because this this kind of reminded me of like I mentioned the omen, obviously, with the ending thing. Um, have, have you ever seen uh, Death Dream? I have the, not the Bob Clark film. We, you and I have talked about this before. I don't know if we talked about it on the show or not, but we've discussed it previously. I've not seen it, but I, I want to. Yeah. I think I've mentioned it on the show before. It's also known as Dead of Night, not to be confused with the <laughs> Dan Curtis oh, film okay. that I talked about last week on the show. Um, but it's a uh, son. Uh, this young soldier gets killed in Vietnam, uh, comes home to his parents one night, just inexplicably shows up. Uh, but he's not the same. And it, it turns out he's some sort of vampire monster thing. But it is dark and it is terrifying. And I feel like if they would have taken a tone, obviously this was uh, 12, 13 years before um, this Twilight Zone episode. But like, I feel like if they would have taken more of a sinister or just more serious tone with this, it would have been one of my favorite episodes. It was just so frustrating where you get the seeds planted for these great ideas and they just rip them away from you with stuff like, why in tarnation did you put me in a coffin? It yeah. just, it, it, it pissed me off so much while I was watching <laughs> this because I was so excited at multiple times. Even I was willing to forgive the first half of this episode when we got to moments uh, later on in this, but they just never would commit to this being something more insidious than it actually was. Yeah. Cause like the notion that like his work ethic, work ethic has changed, like his appetites changed. And then when he says people are t- treating me like some kind of vampire and I'm like, Oh, we're, we're yeah. getting there. And then when the roses, you know, were dead immediately. That's what like, I mean. That like, scene, uh, I would have yeah. forgiven everything up to it. If they would have taken a turn and made it, uh, even just a little bit darker than where it ended up. Yeah, because I would like when he went out to to you know crank start his car and there's the dog nearby. The first time I watched this, I'm like, something's going to happen to that dog, you know. And I was really, I was not that I wanted to see you know a dog die, but it's like if this guy is touching things, you know, and and sapping its energy and killing it, then nothing's safe around him. But and it just. If if he is aware that he's something different, which is implied by the way that he lit the match at, you know, without actually striking it, um, then he would also be aware that he killed the roses. But he he plays it off like, oh, I'm still going to give these to you. It's like, wouldn't you kind of want to hide like this side effect of whatever's going on? I don't know. It just feels like he he acted like it was a surprise to him. But then you kind of you it's a little ambiguous, but I'm pretty sure he knows What's going yeah, I, on the entire time? I don't think it's really ambiguous at all because I, I, it's it's pretty much cut and dry at the end that he knows what's going on, yeah. but he's trying to keep it from everyone else. So yeah, you're right. The fact that he wouldn't try and conceal the flowers or something, or not even bring flowers over, um, but I mean, even if they were doing that as a plot point to bring up later in the episode. Like it would make sense, but they never touch on the fact that the things around him are dying ever yeah. again in the episode. So it, it it feels out of place. Like it was a great idea that they just didn't follow through. And that's this whole episode is yeah. a great idea that just never followed through. Yeah, that's I mean, that's <clears throat> excuse me. I think I'm, I'm this episode sapping my life now as we're talking about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I just yeah, that's it's just frustrating. Like, again, I, I knew I knew the conversation you and I'd have about it would be would be uh, interesting and fun, um, but it's just some of these. It's just that I watched it the first time and I was like, I don't want to watch this a second time, just because not even even the worst episode of the Twilight Zone are still better than a lot of things out there. But it, it was just the absolute potential and Latin and. and it not being there was what made me not want to watch the second time because I was so, I already knew I was going to be let down immediately, you know? And that yeah. was just, yeah. Was and obviously we're, we're watching these to kind of pick them apart and talk about them in depth. And it, it, the episode isn't necessarily a chore to get through. I mean, it's only 20 some minutes. So like it, it's, it's entertaining enough. And if you've never seen it before, it's definitely worth checking out. But um, it, it's just frustrating 
when you go through so many episodes, you know what the series is capable of. Mm-hmm. And you just see them kind of pull their punches and not go for something darker or something more uh, impactful. But I, I honestly, I recommend people check out Dead of Night. If you're into the idea of somebody coming back who isn't quite right, that may or may not be supernatural... Um, Dead of Night or Death Dream from Bob Clark, the director of Christmas Story. Um, uh, check it out because I, I feel like that's where I want this episode to go, but they would never go there at this period. Well, it's even like the no. Pet Cemetery idea, right? Like, you know. Yeah, right, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Or even, even to bring back to a film that I know that you and I have different opinions on, but like, well, not differing opinions, but different opinions on. Even Annihilation deals with some of this idea too. You know, the most recent film that uh this came out last year the that kind of deals with the idea of like you know yeah it's, someone returning it's effective yeah. and it's a creepy uh idea that somebody would come back and be familiar but not completely themselves like yeah. and obviously dead of night deals with post-traumatic stress and everything with some directly dealing with vietnam and somebody coming back who isn't isn't quite right when they get back um just taken to the extreme but like that's kind of where this episode should have went to, mm-hmm. but it doesn't quite get there. Yeah. It's, it's just frustrating. And, you know, we, uh, when, when you and I first started doing this uh, series, we, we, we talk about this often in the sense that like, Oh yeah, we've seen a lot of this. And it's like, no, we've seen like, you know, the, the, the best, of the best. So our, our expectation was probably a little different than, you know, where we're at now that we're more than halfway through, we're seeing that the ones that deserve the praise, you know, certainly deserve it. And then you see these where it's like, ah, you were, you were three quarters of the way there, but then there's almost, there's value in, in, in seeing what could have been. I mean, not that this episode's any better for it, but I mean, you can definitely at least appreciate after seeing, like you said, what the episode or what the show's capable of doing. And then it just makes me, it just breaks my heart with this one because it's not because I hated it. I mean, I didn't like it because of what it actually is. And like I said, I didn't hate it. Like it's definitely worth checking out if you've never seen it. Yeah. Um, There's good ideas in there. It just, yeah, it, it it breaks your heart that this could have been one of the best. Yeah. Could have been, but it was not. So, um, (laughs) fought for well, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Montgomery Pittman, May you, uh, may you, uh, go off to greener pastures. I mean, he, you know, I'm, this is 50 years later, but this is the last time we're dealing with him as a director and a writer. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got two, we, we love two. So two was really good. I mean, yeah. Um, you know, um, and that, you know, yeah, and, I, I like aspects of, I, li- I liked aspects of all of his, of the episodes he mm-hmm. did. I don't think he necessarily had a complete clunker, uh, cause will the real Martian please stand up? Um, there's some fun stuff in there. Two mm-hmm. was fantastic. Uh, the grave had, <laughs> I mean, it had a set piece I liked. <laughs> well, the grave, it's, it's almost similar to this in the sense that like that one had so much like, like, um, this style in it. Right. And like, you know, and, um, texture, but then the story kind of just fell flat. But yeah. Th- there was a yeah, sense so of dread that through is, that whole thing, you know? Yeah. And dead man shoes was, it was fine. <laughs> didn't necessarily feel like a twilight zone episode but i, I dug it um and that it, this one had good ideas just the the whole of the episode wasn't great so it's yeah. he he definitely never had a terrible episode in his uh work on the twilight zone but um i i i think just to kind of button up montgomery Pittman throughout the series two is definitely my favorite of uh his work yeah absolutely and it's and it's actually the most grounded too and a lot like it's just a simple story of like what comes after so there's more i guess his strengths may be more character as opposed to like you know concept maybe that's yeah that's the way i say that um but i mean if if i had to watch this with the knowledge that maybe we this uh, two wouldn't have existed without his you know involvement in the series, then this is the price I'd pay for an episode like two to be out there, you know. So um, it, it, this again, like we will, I'm sure when we revisit the end of the season, this may this may float around uh, certain lower point, points of my uh, likability for the season, but I'm sure we'll talk about it again. 
Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't think this would even pop up on my worst of of the season or anything. I, I This just sits kind of in the middle ground for me because I think the high points of the episode kind of cancel out the low points yeah. for me. Because it was just like, oh, this is really great. And you guys lost it. Oh, this is really great. And you guys dropped the oh, ball again. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like it just kind of cancels it out. And I, it's, it's one of those episodes where I'll probably forget about it until somebody brings up the plot like 10 years from now and be like, I do remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> I talked for an hour and a half about that one. Um, yeah. So, all right. I, yeah, I have nothing else here proper about the notes. Let's, uh, let's try to rate this twist. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we could argue what the twist is here, but I think, you know, the big thing is that if Jeff is somebody else, then that's not much of a twist because it's pretty much like laid out through the entire thing. So whenever he finally, you know, gaslights comfort at the end, I don't think that's a big twist, but I guess you could argue the twist is that they went on to have a son that's now a senator. But I, uh, so I'm giving it a two for the episode. That wasn't even in. That probably wasn't even in the teleplay though, no. which is such a cop out. Where it's like, oh, the best twist is something uh, Serling added on later on. Yeah, that would be like that'd be like at the end of the Mighty Casey, where it's like, and then that robot went off to murder a man. Like what? What? No, like that's like that's not part of the episode. No. That actually happened. Yeah, no, that's. Like, but yeah uh but yeah i just i don't know i'm giving this a two i guess because i i feel like at least there was some ambiguity a little bit at times with him but then when you get to the very end it's obvious you know um so i just i feel like a one is maybe just i don't know a a two yeah yeah Yeah, i i agree um i'm gonna give it a three just because i do (laughs) like the match uh bit at the end i wasn't expecting them to actually give us like a definitive he he is something more than just Jeff Myrtlebank. Yeah. I was expecting the ambiguous Twilight Zone ending, which we get, which I usually like more. But um just the lighting of the match without striking it and everything, I was I was kinda into. And just all of the little twists throughout it with him sitting up in the coffin. Um the uh, I I don't even want to say the fight scene, but <laughs> The implications of the fight scene. Yeah. Um, everything was kind of interesting surrounding him. So I, I don't want to totally like fail the twist on this. So no, I'll, I'll give it a three. I feel like the the match headlighting itself would play much better as a short story, like like a button to an actual like short story that you'd read. And then it'd be almost like, did that actually happen? You know, I feel like that would have been if this thing was written from like the perspective of comfort the entire time. That would have yeah, been yeah, because like, then you, you wouldn't know. quite know what she was seeing. But the fact that you see it as like a third party watching mm-hmm. this as the viewer, um, it obviously happened. Yeah. So it kind of takes the ambiguity out of it, where it's like, did she actually see that? Yeah. So, but again, like I guess if you were watching this uh, on its original broadcast without being able to rewind or rewatch it or anything. Uh, what if you didn't quite catch the match lighting and you're like, oh, did he actually like that? Like that may have been kind of exciting to see because you're like, did I did he strike it? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but now, like, obviously we can rewind it and watch it again, watch it multiple times. But like, um, so maybe it would have played better back then. But yeah. So yeah. here, here's a secret twist for you. And I've been saving this. Uh, the, this is the biggest twist of all for this episode. This is actually our, our 100th episode. Oh. Got to get the party horns on. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. See, that's why I drank a bunch of tiki drinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not our 100th episode of the Twilight Zone. It's just because obviously we've taken some asides. And yeah, there was I a- think this is the 88th episode of the Twilight Zone series. So counting time element we've done 89 episodes of uh twilight zone improper so that means we've only done 11 uh detours throughout the series i, I mean i mean i don't want to try to think count it off because i know there's that are you afraid of the dark uh we did yeah. some black mirror uh encounter yeah. with the unknown uh tales from the dark side telephone um <laughs> uh monster club uh, uh amazing stories um that's seven um yeah i, I don't that, know 
I had just counted eight, but you oh, can't trust my count. No, I, right maybe now. no, 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 no. I, I was, I, I'm looking at my fingers. I'm like, that's probably not right. Um, yeah, I probably yeah. skipped like three. So, oh, oh um, then the Rod Sterling's Lost Classics with with our favorite moment. <laughs> that's in there. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. All right, yeah. so yeah, that's that seems about right. Yeah. There's there's probably a couple more in there we're forgetting. Probably for good reason. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's exciting. It's a hundred episodes, man. This has been, again, I know we always kind of, you know, congratulate one another when we get through a season, but a hundred episodes, that's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a triple digits now. So we're getting places. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. And, uh, thank you to all of you listening out there. Cause, uh, we kind of do this to amuse ourselves a lot of the times, (laughs) but it's nice to know, um, that you guys are out there listening and everything and hopefully watching along with the garbage that we watch <laughs> as far as the detours <laughs> and uh keeping up on the fantastic episodes of the twilight zone yeah so um before we announce what we're doing next which is, is the twilight zone we're not taking another detour suddenly and amazingly uh kevin how can people find us um well first of all i was going to ask you if you want to do a detour sometime to uh cover that larry cohen episode of the other cbs anthology series that we were talking about last week yeah absolutely but yeah we'll get to that eventually i i want to see what that uh and that way out or what is it uh oh what was that series called i'm not sure <laughs> you mentioned it and i my mind yeah, way out yeah. I, I had it right the first time uh the 1961 series um, I eventually want to cover at least one of those episodes just to see what was going on on the same channel as the Twilight Zone at the same time. Yeah. Just to, just to see what they were trying to cash in with. Um, but yeah, if you want to get a hold of us, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, at YouTube, at uh, Strange Highways Podcast. You can email us and leave us voicemails at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. And then uh, I know a few of you have left us uh, reviews on iTunes. I appreciate that. And definitely, if you are listening to us and getting your podcast from there, please leave us a five-star review on there. It definitely helps us out. And uh, we're also available on Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Satchel, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, we are there. Yeah, perfect. All right, so next episode... Uh, it is to serve man. It's one of the, like we go from, from this to an iconic episode, which here's my admission. I don't think I've actually seen this one. I, I, I know it's such a big episode that you know it, but I don't think I've actually watched this one. I yeah. Think all I, I yeah. know is uh Richard Keels in it. So yeah. Uh, uh, and I Jaws, think- Jaws from uh, the uh, James Bond series. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see him in this. Uh, yeah. Much like you, I, I know the imagery from this. Mm-hmm. I, can't remember if I've seen it or not. Pretty so. sure I've seen I, the Simpsons portion of the Treehouse Terror multiple times. It references this, but not uh, <laughs> not this episode. So, all right. <clears throat> Next week, we burrow deep into the most inner confines of Kookland and hopefully wind up dead center of the oddest portion thereof. We'll bring you a story called The Serve Man, written originally by Damon Knight. If you've ever wondered how we'd react to the arrival of some honest-to-peat saucers, next week's diet should be your meat. On the Twilight Zone to serve man. Way to step all over that, Rod Serling. And also, Kookland? What is going on there? That's, you know. that's definitely where I live. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, I, I, and I'm so glad I didn't mistype Damon Knight into Demon Knight. But like originally written by Demon Knight, you know. The oh, Tales from the Crypt movie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just written by Billy Zane. It'd be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. I'm in. All right. So yeah. So next <laughs> week, uh, to serve man. Um, but for now, yeah, we're done with the last race of Jeff Myrtle bank. He can go, uh, go and uh, go at as many eggs as he wants. Cause I think we're, and we're done with him and that whole thing. So, uh, until next week, everybody be safe. And I don't know. I mean, don't die. I guess that's probably the good, <laughs> good recommendation. <laughs> yeah. I, I learned nothing from this episode. Uh, just how to be disappointed. So we'll see you guys next week. here in our county. Medical term for it is epso suspendo animation. Very rare. Matter of fact, there's been only 30 cases in the past 1,500 years. In 
Ain't you just trying to cover up for your own miscalculations, Doc? I ain't never heard of no sickness like that. Well, it ain't likely you would. Only 30 cases in 1,500 years. All them in Europe. Best thing for you to do is quit trying to slander my name and take that boy home, give him some soup. <laughs> 